0: Hey, this morning we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke once again as we continue our study of Advent, looking this morning at peace. And so you're going to want to find your way to Luke 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, don't own one. You should find one near you, in the back of the pew in front of you or somewhere close by. we love for that to be a gift from us to you and your family, uh, for you to take home so you can continue to read and study God's Word and grow in the knowledge of Him. If you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, as we say different books of the Bible today, you can find them uh, in the front of the Bible, in the table of contents. And then as we make our way through there, the large numbers are going to be chapters, and the small numbers are verses. We're going to spend most of our time in Luke 2. We're going to jump around a little bit. You may just want to write that down if you're not super fast at at flipping. Uh, But Luke 2. And so Mike uh, read earlier for us. A section from this, but I, I want to read Luke 2 1 to 20 again, and, and then we will reflect upon it uh, together. We read, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own home. You will find a baby in swaddling claws, laying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had all heard and seen as it had been told them. I don't know how much you uh, watch or read the news, or or if if you're like one of our staff members who only catches news if it occurs on ESPN news, uh, and if that's the case, then, then this may be news for you, and so this could be just a new piece of information. But recently, really over the last few months, Russia has been amassing thousands of troops on the Ukrainian border, and you're saying, what in the world does that have to do with me? Well, it, it has massive implications for us. It has massive impl- implications for global security, and it has massive implications for the idea of peace and what it looks like to see peace continue in our global community. Well, a, a few days ago, two or three days ago, uh, Moscow reached out to NATO and they said, listen, we are interested in peace, and, and we will bring peace and a resolution to the situation. If you do what we're asking. NATO said, well, that's really interesting, comrade. What do you have? And Russia responded and said, uh, Nasvidaniya. And so they they, they responded and essentially they said, what we want is for no country that has joined NATO since the fall of uh, the Soviet Union to be able to amass arms, to have weapons outside the borders of their country because that represents a threat to Russia and... And we want Russia to have complete veto power for any other country that ever joins NATO. Essentially what they said is we want everything we want. And if you give us everything we want, we're probably going to leave this place. They don't want peace. They want to exercise their might. They want to flex their muscles. And ultimately what they want is to see other nations bow down to their power. And what they want to communicate to their people is, we're working for peace. It's NATO, it's the Americans, it's the others that aren't interested in peace. They are lying. We recognize that. We recognize over and over again that nations, that relationships, that people want peace and they seek to accomplish peace through a show of force, through a show of might. We experience that in our relationships, we see that in our friendships, we see that in our families, that if we are to be a peacemaker, if we are to be one who sees peace, then oftentimes what we find ourselves asking and asking this question of ourselves is, what am I willing to give to sustain, to see peace be brought into this relationship, brought into my life and introduced into this family? Well, it's to this question of peace that Luke, in some sense, really seeks to address. How can God bring and sustain peace? Well, when, when Luke writes this, when he pins this, there's, there's what is occupying the thoughts of people in the first century is Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Now, Roman peace. Is specifically brought about because if a nation or a group of people rose up against Rome, they would squash them like the little bugs Rome understood them to be. And so Roman peace existed and it lasted because every time there was opposition, the Romans would come in and they would crush that peace. Now it's interesting that what Luke does is he begins with a story in a decidedly different way than the Gospel of Matthew does. And look at who he describes first. Caesar Augustus. He says Caesar issued a decree that everybody needed to be registered. In essence, what needs to happen is under the name of Caesar, taxes need to be levied. People need to give more money because more Roman peace needs to happen and Caesar needs to continue to build. Now these are things said of Caesar. It was said when Augustus was born that his birthday signaled the beginning of the good news. So Augustus, who invited people to worship him as divine, encouraged people to say, have you heard the gospel? And what he meant by that was, have you heard the story of my birth? No, again, we found an inscription uh, attributed to Augustus, and this is what it says about him. It says he is the father of the divine homeland, Rome, inherited from his father Zeus and savior of the common folk. He does not have a hyperinflated sense of self, I think. It says his foresight not only fulfilled the entreaties of all the people, but surpassed them, making peace for land and for sea. Caesar wanted wanted people to see him as their savior, and he wanted people to see him as the one who not only brought peace, but sustained it. He would say often that when I came to Rome, I found it built in bricks and I left it draped in marble. He wanted people to recognize him as the bringer and sustainer of peace. And so what we see on the one hand is the depiction of what culture says makes and sustains peace. And then what we see on the other hand is Luke's impossible description of how our God makes and sustains peace. We find this family living in Nazareth, a woman who finds herself pregnant out of wedlock, and she unites herself to this man under the providence of God. And a a decree goes forth through Quirinius, who is a governor underneath Augustus, and they have to travel 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So they they enter up on this journey, this five-day or so journey, Uh, travailing and and, and heading in this direction. And what they're doing in doing this is abiding with what God had laid down through the mouthpiece of Micah 5-2. That God's savior, that his warrior, that his king would be born in Bethlehem. So what we see in the middle of this is that even in all of Augustus, even in all of Caesar's power, he is a pawn. He is a mouthpiece for what our God wants to see happen. Amen? He is moving and doing because God has willed it to be such. So when they get to Bethlehem, and they go there because Joseph is of the line of David. And when we get there, we have in our minds, I think, this picture of them kind of strolling into town late at night. And they're looking around. And, and, and there are no Airbnbs to be happened. There's no, and apparently you say this, Verbo. There's no Verbo's available. There's no Holiday, holiday Day in. There's, no, uh, there's no By Denny's La Quinta's available. There's nothing available. And that's kind of what we see in our minds, right? And so no such thing has happened. In actuality, they make it to town, and they would have been traveling as a part of a large caravan. They're traveling with their family, their extended cousins, their aunts, their tias, their tios, and all these various things. And they're traveling up there, and when they find themselves making it into town, what we read, this word "in" really connotes more an idea of a guest room. So a typical first century domicile, a house, is made up of three rooms. And so you have the manger, you have the family room, and you have a guest room. And connected to the family room is a half wall that separates the family room from the manger, from the stable area. And so we see the heat and the ambient smell coming from the stable and occupying the family area. It's making it warm. It's making it livable. And so Joseph and Mary are going around and they knock on the door and they say, Hey, Uncle Festus, do you have any room for us? And he says, Oh, oyve, I just gave, uh, just gave the uh, guest room to Hephzibah and all of her kids. You know how she is with the rheumatoid. We can't move her. And Joseph's like, I got a pregnant lady. He's like, yeah, but Hepzibah, I just can't do that. And so they're, they're traveling around, so they've gone to Festus. They go to Uncle Larry. They go to Aunt Sue. They travel all around, and they knock on the door. And what they find in this one family, he says, listen, you're a part of our family. We understand this. We're, we're all so upset about this. But the guest room, she's all full. She's all full. The dog, she just had puppies. She's very particular. You know how they are. They are our pups. and so they're in there. But what we have for you is a very warm well used but hospitable manger how does that strike you and so this is where joseph and mary take up their residence now also within our mind is it's just mary kind of saying oh i got to go 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 and she walks in there and out pops the baby no epidural no nothing this is all natural birth but what we find in the middle of this is likely they had been in Bethlehem for some time. Look what it says. It says that while they were there, this doesn't paint the picture of stumbling in and reaching the city limit sign. She's like, ah, oh, the contractions. He's like, remember your breathing. <laughs> if you look up Lamaz in Encyclopedia Britannica, it says, see Joseph, first purveyor of. So Jesus is born in this manger, in this tucked away city, in Bethlehem. Mary takes this son that she has been promised. She takes this child that she has been waiting on. She takes the one who the angel told her would be the son of God. And in tenderness and care, she loves him. And she wraps him, the text tells, her, tells us, in swaddling clothes, and she lays him in this feed trough. Because the guest room was already full. We see the description of Caesar Augustus, who is the savior of the world, who through his might and through his power brings peace. And what we see is the one that God would use ultimately to bring peace, and peace that never ends is born in the most humble of circumstances. So she lays in there in the manger. Now what Luke does next makes no sense. Luke shifts and he begins to describe shepherds. Now, when we see this, I think probably what occurs for a lot of us in our minds is a goodly group of men who are out there minding their own business, caring for the sheep, and we esteem them to be wondrous workers of the community. No such thing would have been entertained in the mind of somebody in the first century when you said the king of kings, the lord of lords, has been born in a manger, they would have said that's laughable. If you said the king of kings and the lord of lords was born in a manger and some of the first to be visiting him on the night of his birth were shepherds, they would have spit at the ground and said, what are you talking about? You see, shepherds were considered to be some of the lowliest people within the first century. We read in commentaries, it says their prolonged absences and ill repute disqualified them from being legal witnesses. They never got called for jury duty. This doesn't sound so bad. So the third century rabbi commenting on Psalm 23 said, There is no more despised occupation in the world than that of shepherds. Along with gamblers and tax collectors, herdsmen were regularly listed among those trades despised by Jewish writings in the Mishnah and the Talmud. But our God chooses an angel to occur to the despised and the lowly. The despised, the lowly, the rejected, the unwanted, men whose testimony wasn't admissible in court. This is who our God sends his angels to appear before. It says, in the same region, so we read, and nearby shepherds were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord, likely Gabriel, appeared to them, and it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So the angels are out there in the middle of the night. They have a small campfire. They're going over and they're counting sheep not to go to sleep because this is their job. And in the middle of all these things, an angel, an angelic being, a being of light, occurs, appears in front of them. And then the whole night sky is filled with wonder and light. Now I want you to remember, I want you to recall what happens when the glory of the Lord shows up. When it is shining, people can't behold it. They can't see it, they can't look at it, because to do so is blinding, to do so is fear-inducing. So in the middle of darkness, this being of light shows up, and it says they were filled with great fear. The angel says to them, fear not, don't be terrified, clean yourself up. Why? Because I bring you the gospel. At the birth of Augustus, he says, the good news has been declared, but what we read here through Luke is the good news is declared through the mouthpiece, through God's mouthpiece, the angel. I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy. For who? For all people. It is arresting. It is scandalizing that our God, when he saw fit to bring forth the good news, did not bring it to the high and mighty. He bought it to the low and despised. When our God saw fit to bring good news, when our God saw fit to step into time, to step into history, and to bring his peace, his peace which knows no end, he did not bring it to the halls of power. He could have easily shown up to Augustus and said, change your heart, know Jesus, and turn. And Augustus could have made it the law of the land. He could have made it the edict for all of Rome. Pax Romana could have been Pax Christus. It could have been the peace of Christ over all the Roman Empire. But how did he choose to do it? He brought it to the low and despised. This should hearten us. This should give us courage. This should give us great cheer. This should lead us to great joy because what we recognize is that you and I in our base form, according to Ephesians 2, were dead in our sins and our trespasses and God brought his good news to our hearts. You see, God didn't catch you on your, on your best day. He didn't catch you on a good day and say, I want to introduce my peace to you. I want to bring it to you. I want you to know my son because you seem to be moving in an upward trajectory of Righteousness. He brought it to us when we were low in despised. He brought it to us when we were broken and selfish. He brought it to us with an invitation to come and receive. So he's before these shepherds. He says, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy for all people. How? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah has been born. This is how they would have heard this. The possibility of having good news for great joy for all people is that the Messiah has been born. And this will be a sign for you. This is how you're going to know. This is how you're going to discover it. You're going to find this baby who's been newly wrapped by his mother in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And when he said this, when he declared this to them, what had once been bright was now overwhelming. The sky was now filled with thousands upon thousands of angels, all declaring, all praising one song. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. What type of message, what type of of announcement were the angels declaring to the shepherds? Was it a message just for them? Or was it a message that stood the possibility, had the promise of fundamentally altering and changing all of humanity for all time? This is the message. God offers to you, he extends to you the possibility of peace. And it's been on offer, the amazing thing is, it's been on offer from the moment of his birth. It's been his plan from before time, from eternity past. Glory to God in the highest. God is to be praised and peace is available to all all those with whom he is pleased. Well, the shepherds or just kind of clearing their minds and, 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 and asking to one another, we can kind of imagine this in, in, in our minds and see this in our mind's eye, turning to one another, did you see what I saw? Did I have, what's going on here? Did you see what I saw? Oh my goodness, what, what happened here? And then they collectively in the brain trust of shepherds say, well let's go see, we have to go see if this thing which the Lord has made known to us is true. It says, and they went in haste, and they rambled all might, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. They saw the sign, the promise fulfilled that the angel told them would be there. The angel said, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger. They bust into the room. This is what they found. Verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and namely, that God is to be glorified, and peace is on offer. God is to be glorified, and peace is on offer. The Savior has been born. This child lying in a manger here, babbling words and crying for his mother, is the Savior of the world. Now, everybody in the room, the text tells us that when those who were in the room heard it, verse 18, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. Essentially, you can see them stroking what would be their beards, not a clean, shaven face, and saying, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard. And culturally, what's running through their minds is, should I believe these men? They can testify in a court of law. They'd as soon rob from you as help you. Should I believe them? It's fascinating. It's wild. If true, it's amazing. But should I believe? what the majority of people are hearing and how they respond. Mary hears these words and listen to the difference in Mary's response. All who heard it and wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary, who had heard the testimony of the angel to her that said, you're going to give birth to a child, you're going to name him Jesus. He is the son of God, the savior of the world. When she hears the testimony of the angels through the mouth of the shepherds. As a mother, you can see her looking down at her child wrapped there, and she's trying to imagine the world that he's going to bring into existence. whole lot of back and forth every year, finding it out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and people making TikTok videos to finding out to what degree Mary actually knew. Another sermon for another, another day. That's a leap year sermon. <laughs> but what we see in there is a mother who is treasuring up the future of her child. Worshipping the Lord in her heart for what her child will mean. Thinking over and over again what does it look like for my son to be the savior of the world? What does it look like that God is going to be, bring peace to all peoples through this child? So she ponders it. The shepherds leave. They're glorifying and praising God, and they can't shut up about this story. Men whose story is doubted doesn't, doesn't bother them, doesn't faze them. They can't help but tell how good and how great this God is. And the bold declaration that he has given them to share. So we run into this. And the question that we find ourselves asking is is we see the improbability of how a child born in Bethlehem can bring, can change, can alter. In Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, what we see is the promise of peace 700 years prior. on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then we read, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God will accomplish his purpose. He will bring peace to the world and he will do it because for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Psalm 46 paints this picture of power. I think one of the questions that rolls through my mind is, God, I look around, and it doesn't look like peace is really on offer. It, it, It just doesn't seem that we are capable of experiencing peace one with another. I don't experience it on the global scale. So you might say, I don't experience it within my family. I don't experience peace in my life. And so you're asking the question of, is peace really on offer? How will God affect, how will he bring, what will it look like? And in the midst of this this seeming lack of peace, Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountain tremble at its swelling." Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations upon the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Be still. Strive not. Fret not. Worry not. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we see the promise of peace. We see the path or the picture of peace in what we read in Colossians 1.20 is the passion of peace, what God did to accomplish peace for us. Speaking of Jesus, it says, and through him through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God brings peace to us. He has an offer for us an experience of peace, and he does it through the blood of Jesus. This improbable child born in a backwater town, To a couple of people that if God had not intervened, their names would not have ever been remembered. Their lives would never have been recorded. When given an opportunity to choose those that would testify to his greatness and to his coming, God chooses the low and the despised. He chooses the wicked. He chooses the outcast. And he chooses you. And he extends to you an invitation to come and to know him. See, the difficulty of our lives is our lives are not an experience of uninterrupted peace. We know this all too well. We experience the sting of the loss of relationship. We experience the sting of death. We have been touched by sickness and war. We know what it is to be vulnerable and to feel like there is no one to fight for us. We know what it is should so desperately want peace peace with our brothers and sisters peace with our families peace for strangers that we do not know we said see the headlines coming out of syria the middle east africa south america we see the, the headlines coming out of main street usa and we so desperately want peace but what we read is that the god of peace who came as a child will come again and he will make peace that you and i have a chance to to receive today through his blood he will make peace and that peace will know knowing if you want to experience that peace if you want to experience it today to know in your heart that the peace that god will bring at the second coming of jesus is a peace that you can receive the Bible gives us a clear instruction for how we might receive it. Romans 10 and verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. That's the gift on offer for Christmas. That's the gift on offer for you and I. For those of us who know the Lord as Savior, we know Jesus as Savior. We have already confessed with our mouths. We know and testify in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that God has raised Him from the dead. When we encounter difficult, when we encounter sorrow, the promise which sustains us is we are one destined, purposed, held fast to receive the unending peace of God. The difficulties of this life remind us that this place is not our home. And for those in this place or in this hearing who have not submitted themselves to Jesus, my request for you is that you would consider the claims of Christ. That you would purpose in your heart to investigate those claims. To ask God to reveal himself to you and that you would submit yourself to him so that he might bring you a peace and a salvation that nothing else and no one else in this world ever could. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word, for its clarity, for the salvation that we have on offer that we receive through your son Jesus. Father, you are good and you do good. God, I pray that this morning that those of us who know your son Jesus but we've not been experiencing peace, we've been stuck in turmoil, would remind ourselves of the goodness of our God. That even though that in this world that we may have trouble, we read in the Gospel of John, that you have overcome the world for us. We find our solace, we find our peace, we find our refuge in your Son, Jesus. God, I pray for those who have yet to submit themselves to your Son, Jesus, that that they would feel the power of your Spirit moving within them, calling them to salvation. God, that before the end of this day that they would find one of our staff or one of our members, turn to them and say, tell me how I can know Jesus so that we might welcome them into the family of Christ, our brother who goes before us. God, we submit all these things to you in his name. Amen.